Good morning. Welcome to Ordinary Life. Make sure you have your cell phones turned off, please. And uh, thanks to Lauren and Joshua, who are activating the monitors as we speak. Without them, this wouldn't happen. So, you doing okay? No. I'm okay. Our country's not okay. Our country's broken. We'll talk maybe about that. How could we not? I had a cartoon in the announcement slide. I don't know if you saw it or not about some guy in Texas asked about how he could protect himself, and he said, get a nine millimeter. Some a couple of clips and some shells, and it had a nine millimeter wrench, a couple of paper clips, and a box and of shells. macaroni shells. Yeah. See, I thought that was funny, but I didn't know about what happened in Allen last night when I put that up. So, mm. all right, because of all of that, let's do what's necessary to get here. Let's take a deep breath, put your feet on the floor. If it's helpful to close your eyes, do that and just. Breathe in and forget about going to the grocery store this afternoon or watching a ball game. You can <laughs> wait. And for those of you who attend uh, worship here in the next service, in the 11 o'clock service, there will be sung a version of this. Uh, may grace be in our heads and in our thinking. Grace be in our eyes and in our seeing. Grace be in our ears and in our hearing. Grace be in our mouths and in our speaking. Grace be in our hearts and in our understanding. And grace be at our ends and at our departing. So I hope this time today contributes to at least three things for you. Um, one, that it... Um, deepens your awareness and understanding of who you are, that it deepens your awareness and understanding of who sacred mystery is, and that it strengthens our commitment to treat others as if they were us because they are. And uh, taking our guidance from Jesus, who excluded no one except those who thought they knew who should be excluded, I want you to know that no matter who you are or where you are on your spiritual journey, you are celebrated here. So, um, you notice that Holly is teaching with me today, and we have had a very long-distant relationship today, which she will, I mean this week, which she will talk to you about. Love letters to modern mystics. Um, so you know, and I'm going to keep rep repeating this uh, because um, that repetition is the mother of mastery, and we want to gain mastery. So we're seeking to walk a path of awareness with an evolving um, understanding and relationship with sacred mystery in one hand, an evolving understanding relationship with uh, what we understand is the self and the other hand, and we're going to walk a path illuminated by our understandings of Jesus, the person, and the teachings of Jesus. So that's kind of where we are. And um, we've been talking, uh, talked last week, about growing our belief where we no longer see God as a big white male in the sky who periodically takes a stick and stirs things on earth. But rather God is a living, breathing presence paradoxically within us and among us. And um, doing this kind of work is what I call reconstructive theology. It's inherent in the DNA. It's inherent in every religious tradition. Uh, you see it in the Jewish tradition, as I illustrated last week with the story of Joseph. And uh, you see it in Jesus with his um, not 
uh, with his adapting the scriptures of his own tradition and using them for and to his own purpose. And so we need to do that. I'm coming more and more to believe that, uh, and I'm not a scientist, so somebody, one of you science people can tell me, but I'm coming to believe that maybe it literally is part of our DNA to think when we hear the word God, up, out, white, and male. That it's not reflexive for us to think God here, present, within, and among us. Because we've been thinking in that other way about the word uh, we mean when we use God um, for about 10,000 years. So I wanted us to shift our focus today to more of the self, and I decided to give this a title, even before Holly and I had much time to talk, about a line that my mother used a lot, just who do you think you are, <coughs> right? Um, our thoughts determine everything. As one of my teachers put it, you are not who you think you are, but what you think you are. Got it? So before doing this and turning this to Holly's insights, I want to just stress again how important it is to do good theology, especially when it comes to our understanding about God. And I want to stress right here that thinking about God, talking about God like we're doing now, which I think is essential, is not the same as having a relationship with God. That's something else. I'm going to have much more to say about that in, in the weeks ahead. However, doing the kind of theology or the kind of understanding about God that I've been talking with you about in here is critically important to the practical living of our lives. Think about it. If God is some separate off out there from the earth and from us being, yeah. and, and we're riding on this earth on which we temporarily are hitching a ride until something better comes along, <laughs> then this world is just stuff, and we can exploit it and do with it whatever we want, which is exactly what we're doing. Further, if God plans to destroy the earth, which is what conservative Christians believe, God's going to come back in a firestorm and burn the earth to crisp, then that leads us not to want to take care of the earth as well. If God can destroy, so can we. And if God is all-powerful and in control of everything that happens, then when our neighbors suffer, our neighbors whom we are commanded by Jesus to love, when they suffer, we don't have to do anything to resolve the issue, like world hunger or the consequences of natural disasters like in Syria and Turkey, climate crises and other issues. If our picture of God is that of a deity who rules with an iron rod, and you can find this image in the Psalms and in Revelation, then we might find ourselves more amenable to authoritarian leadership. Those rulers who can promise, I can save you. I'm your guy. Women don't have a tendency to say that. If God chooses some people for heaven and other people for hell, then God sets an example about how we can be divisive in the human community as well. If God delivers miracles simply by our praying hard enough, then we're off the hook for having to do much more than offer, as you're going to hear in the days ahead, thoughts and prayers for the people in Allen, Texas. I, uh, we have a psychosis about guns, and you're going to hear um, people on the right it's amazing to me that there's, as far as I know, I checked this morning before I came here, um, but as far as I know, in the press conference that was held last night, and so far, nobody said, hey, this guy had a AK, is it AK-47? Is that the one weapon? type of I can't sort mine out at home. I've got so many. Um, 
They just want, they won't say it's what it is, as if not saying keeps it a secret. It's a bad ploy. And and so you're gonna hear people defending the the right or the right to bear arms. And we saw Kathleen Madigan's stand up comic show last night and she was at a bar somewhere in Denver and some guy walked in in open carry and had two pistols on him and he looked at her and said you want to discuss the second amendment and she said sure if you can name another one <laughs> and that stopped that conversation and then you'll hear people on the on the, on the left more progressive side saying we need gun laws we need gun restrictions and all this other stuff. And I'm a preacher, pastor, spiritual teacher, so neither one of those is a solution. We need to teach nonviolence. We need to teach that we love each other, that we're connected to each other. Maybe getting rid of guns or gun control is an is initial step, but what we need is the practice and teaching of nonviolence in this culture. And and that's a whole other topic. That's not my notes. We'll get to that. I can understand why the understandings of God that we now have came into existence along the, the 10,000 year history that we've had. But um, in the face of our growing racist, racist nationalism, our gross economic inequality, the resurgence of autocracy, the growing threat of climate change, our national psychosis about guns, are, and other serious matters, it is critical, I think, that we rethink the foundation on which we are building our spiritual understanding of ourselves and how to be in the world. This relationship to God is critically important. Hmm. I'll shut up. You're good. Um, before diving in, I, I do feel compelled to just take a moment to honor the grief of those lost yesterday in this 193rd shooting of the year, mass shooting that doesn't count one-to-one. -one. And the lives lost ranged from age five to age 61. And one horrific image that um, got written about was of a, a, a man who ran from where he was working to the mall to try and be a responder. And he found oof, a little boy covered by his mother's body. And he was alive and drenched in her blood. And she did not live. And that, of course, is like the mother in me is like, yes, we would do that. But the mother in me doesn't want to have to do that. <laughs> And I had a, I probably informed by yesterday, I had a dream last night in which I had to throw everyone to the floor because of uh, a shooting that was happening outside of the house in my dream. And I couldn't find my kids. And after it settled down and I found them and learned that my kids had gone, one of my kids led the other kids outside to watch, that I responded in the dream with equal parts terror and fury that the way that we deal with our fear is through this fury and in the dream I was just yelling at my children you never walk towards a guy you know just because that fear was so alive and I, in the dream I you know you can I felt that and so you know I kind of woke up with that like mother <laughs> balance of terror, the fear that it means to want to protect our kids. All of us, I think, want to be that kind of mother to protect our children. And the, 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 the fury that I feel about how difficult it is. And I, I fear that in, I know that image is a lot to hold, but I fear that in bypassing the images, we let it become normal. And that's the psychosis, that we've let it become normal. And we need to remember how atrocious this really is. So, honor the grief. On to the material. <laughs> but in the advance of this class, Bill asked if he texted me and said, do you feel more inspired to talk about God or the self? And I went both. 
So a few days later, he says, okay, but really, if you were voting, do you want to talk more about God or the self? And I sent a cute little emoji and said, both. <laughs> um, I really can't disaggregate the two. I, I feel that when we talk about remaking God, we're also talking about remaking the self. And a lot of what I pull from today is from the book, I forgot to put a picture of the book, but Transformation of the God Image, Young's Answer to Job, which is by Edward Edinger. It's a great book, and he's a really straightforward writer, so it's not hard to read. I'll, I can send it in the notes. But I want to start with the premise that Young really wanted to create a path for people to reconcile with their higher self, with their God self. He felt that many of the biblical metaphors and archetypes were pointing us in that direction, and that if we took them seriously, we too could incorporate the God self. And toward the end of his life, it said that this was written in a letter about seven months before he died in response to someone who had written him, so a stranger. He wrote, I was unable to make people see what I am after. I am practically alone. There are few who understand this, and almost nobody sees the whole. That man has a soul. Let's say humans have a soul. And there is a buried treasure in the field, and that our religion and philosophy is in a lamentable state. Young hoped that in raising consciousness, we would come to transform both the image of God and the image of self. He hoped that we would move from seeing God as this punishing Old Testament God to the God image of love in the New Testament, and then beyond that, to the realization of the God self or the sacred within. I understand this to mean that we are love, period. We are not tethered to love by concepts of this all-powerful God or even through Christ, but that we ourselves are called to be conduits of love. So um, you discover God, you discover yourself, you discover your true self, you discover God. Oh, I'm sorry. So if you discover God, you discover your true self, and vice versa. True self, you discover God. Now, <clears throat> I'm, it may be unrealistic for me to expect you to keep the last six months in mind, so I'll go back and remind you. <laughs> now, when we began this thing on the, 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 the um, love letters to modern mystics, I said that we were going to ground this um, partially in an understanding of Ken Wilber's integral theory. And it's overwhelming. I mean, <laughs> I, I get to, it, it is overwhelming. Ken Wilber, who has written a book about a theory about everything and a lot of other things, some of which I understand, much of which I don't, is simply saying that the integral, th he's simply saying, he simply is, saying. one thing he's saying <laughs> is that the integral theory tries to take into consideration various levels of development, various stages of development, various areas of intelligence, all of that in the, grouped in, in, into one picture. Um, integral theory takes into consideration the various types of personalities and the various stages of personality development. Now, this is, seems so obvious, but it needs to be stated. Being born is no guarantee that the human ego develops into an awareness of the self. Now, I don't mean to sound judgmental, but I am guessing that 80% of the adult population of this country is arrested at late adolescent development. Now, you are not in that number. <laughs> I'm serious. You wouldn't be sitting here if you were. Um, we probably have our moments. Though. Huh? We probably have our moments. Anybody though. can get into a regression or get <laughs> captured. Anybody. Except me. <laughs> <laughs> That's his moment. <laughs> um, 
And, and, and this is just one, one theory. What I'm going to offer you is one theory when it comes to um, spiral dynamics. People who are at higher levels of development have learned to be nicer and politer so we don't stand up to the bullies that eventually take over our politics and institutions. Unless you want to run for public office. The inmates are running the asylum. Now, my belief, and I want this to be something that drives my teaching and has forever, is that once we have dealt with the primary survival skills, that we have a purpose on this planet. And that purpose is as long as we are mentally capable to be involved in the ongoing process of becoming centers of freedom and love. You can do this whether you're pumping gas to fill your car, whether you're cleaning the toilet, whether you're preparing a meal, whether you're doing your job, you can do this regardless. So that whatever you're doing has an opportunity to contribute to your spiritual growth and well-being. Now, one tool for growth is a tool that spiritual directors use that's called the Enneagram. And it's only one tool. It's a type of, it's a personality typing system. And uh, just this past week, we signed an agreement with Suzanne Stabil to come here in September and do an intensive training day for those of us. This will be part of the endowment series. Suzanne Sibyl will be here in this room teaching about the Enneagram. Our senior pastor, Jeff McDonald, honors and likes this woman so much that he has asked her to stay a day later on Monday and do the Enneagram and staff development for the whole staff at St. Paul. And she'll be preaching both services that Sunday, which I understand is something she doesn't, she wants to do, but doesn't get a lot of opportunity to. So there'll be a lot more information coming down the pike about this in the next few weeks. That'll be the last week in September. And you say, well, how can I prepare? And one of the ways that you can prepare is by getting this little book, The Enneagram Made Easy by uh, Renee Brown and Elizabeth Waggle. And uh, then, uh, this is not my notes to show you, but somebody that I see for spiritual direction sent me a YouTube link of getting your Enneagram number in three questions. It's about a 15 minute video. I watched it, uh, it can be useful. So I will put that either in the summary that, I'll put it in the summary that goes out uh, so that you can see it. And you also might wanna be aware, this was something I learned during COVID. There are all these wonderful free things that you can do on YouTube. Richard Rohr has a free course on the Enneagram on YouTube. So you can also um, learn from that if you want to. Um, this, is a, this is a wonderful tool. And uh, my spiritual director insisted on my getting clarity about it. Um, it's sometimes not a fun thing to know because it will introduce you to what the Enneagram calls your passions or your sins or your vices or whatever. I think it's very helpful. I don't know. What's the date? Huh? What's the date that she's The coming? last weekend in September, last full weekend in September. Mm -hmm. I think that embraces the first Sunday in October. Mm -hmm. But I'll, I'll have more clarity about that in the next two weeks, and we'll put it on the website and so everybody will know. And, and I, I want you to know. It's a very helpful tool. One of the things it's useful in is in, uh, in relationships. Mm -hmm. So no two types, no two personality types marry. Except maybe sixes. <laughs> oh, that, meaning sixes marry other sixes. Uh, sixes marry other sixes. We love six. to just bask in our fear. Yeah, and, and anxiety. Okay. All right. Terror or whatever. Uh -huh. And and so I'm a seven, <laughs> Sherry's a four. And uh, so we sometimes I say when she does something or says something, I'll uh -huh. say, Are you serious? Uh -huh. or are you just being a four? Now that's not helpful. 
to away. And then she just goes. Yeah, well, force don't hit you back. They do. They poison your food. That's right. Yeah, but more passive aggressive than that. Yeah. So I imagine that learning about our Enneagram types also helps us learn about how we view God or the sacred. Um, actually, what's that book, The um, Spiritual Dimension of the Enneagram? By Sandra Matry. It's a wonderful book. And there is a free, uh, there's a chapter called um, Falling Away from Yourself that is on the Ordinary Life website under resources from Sandra Matry's book. I photocopied it and put it there. It's so go read it. <laughs> I was going to say it's copyrighted material. I didn't get permission to put it up there. I may be in jail by this time yeah, next week. That's right. The copyright police that. are coming. But it is called the I think it's called the Hungry Ghost or the Falling Away the Fall. That's what it's called. And it's it, it, it's I've read that chapter in that book probably a half a dozen times and learned something every time about how I have fallen away from my true self, mm -hmm. and how it's easy to do. Sevens can get addicted to stuff like that. Like, I have heard that there are some sevens who like buy a lot of books. That's not you, Recommend though. a lot of books. Yeah, yeah. Buy a lot of magic tricks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Recipe. Spice. Recipe. Keep, keep spices for 48 years. Yeah. 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 Um, when, we, when, when we were moving, one time Sherry found a folder in my study that was like this thick, and on the outside of it, it said, recipes to try. My goodness. And she looked at it, and she said, Bill, we if, won't you, live long enough if you cooked this. one of these every day, <laughs> and she just walked over to the waste can and went. Yeah, yeah. Everything's on the internet now. Yeah. So, yeah. well, in, I mean, just in relating to God, my, my Enneagram type sums it up pretty easily, the loyal skeptic. <laughs> um, I'll remain loyal to the cause, but I will question it all the way down. So on that note, I drew a simple series of illustrations and an attempt to demonstrate some changing, our changing images of God. The first one I'm going to call uh, the creator God. This is kind of the distant God who's like the authoritarian parent, sits on a hill, maybe waves his magic stick and creates whatever comes to his imagination. Honestly, this God sounds a bit petulant. <laughs> Young asserted that a being who stops after the initial creation actually has very limited consciousness and challenges, as Bill did last week, this idea of the omnipotent, omniscient God. It is, in my opinion, an unfinished idea of God, one who doesn't evolve but is kind of just forever stagnant and separate from creation. The next illustration that's the you know so there's a line tethering us but they're not deeply connected the next illustration is of what I'm calling a creating God and the difference between creator and creating is really just a matter of syntax creator implies that the world is done that all things exist in their complete form and beyond that we'll just have to see what happens whereas creating is more of an action verb it's in the present tense. It implies that something is currently being brought into existence and creating is ongoing. It signifies that everything around us is changing and evolving. There's more here in this illustration of emerging between the, what is, who is doing the creating and what is being created. In some way though, it still implies there's forethought to the work so that the one doing the creating has the upper hand. Next, I came up with this word. First, I thought collaborator, and then I thought, no, I think I like co-conspirator better. So we're working in this image of God with the powers of the universe to bring something into being. We are co-creators. Embedded in this co-conspirator idea is the word conspire. The etymology of conspire comes from two Latin roots. One is con, which is together or with, and the other is spirit, which is defined as the animating or vital principle in humans and animals, and I would say all things, which comes from the Latin spiritus to mean respiration, wind, or breath. As co-conspirators, we are the breath of life 
embedded in the creator, creating, and creation. So these things merge. This is simultaneous self-consciousness. So all things are becoming aware of themselves and evolving simultaneously. As much as I like co-conspirator, it comes with a, both a feeling of a relief and a burden. <laughs> the relief is I don't like the idea of being puppeteered. I don't like the idea of being controlled by an external force or having some predestined uh, destiny, except for gravity, which of course is designed to keep us tethered to the ground, but a burden because it means that I have to take some level of responsibility for how I live, how I co-create, how I conspire, and either add to or take away from the lives around me. I'm going to stick with this third image of God as co-conspirator for a minute. And Edinger writes that this kind of God symbolizes evolution of consciousness. We can only know this God as well as we know ourselves, and vice versa. God and the self are transformed by encounters between them. Such a being is not split. It's neither all good nor all evil, but the totality of our opposites. As co-conspirators, this possibility is also available in us, that we can integrate both the shadow and the light aspects of the self. And in this version of God, humans and God need one another in order to become fully themselves. So, uh, Your mic keeps going off. I keep turning it off. Are you burping? No. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I was thinking while I was reading what you wrote this week and then uh, listening to you that in the, in the myth of creation, um, you got two powerful images, one of light, and um, so that all spiritual traditions talk about in some way overcoming darkness, not being blind, seeing in light. I would say integrating darkness. Integrate, yeah. yeah. Integrate. You want to do that. Integrate the darkness. We got to do that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it'll kill us. Mm -hmm. And then the other is the, the in the creation myth that the spirit and spiritus brooded over mm -hmm. over to creation. And I think that that is why in most every religious tradition, those two things are very strong: the business about light and dark and the business about breath or spirit mm -hmm. and the, and a, a fundamental meditation technique is paying attention mm -hmm. to your breathing mm -hmm. uh, without it you would not be but just paying attention to it and then if you pay attention to your breathing you will pay attention to how you can't pay attention to it because your mind goes <laughs> off to do other things and it takes some real discipline yeah so the question is about who you are am I getting your that's my slide but you might have maybe I put them in the wrong order can we come back to mm -hmm. it because yeah. I got a couple things I maybe I didn't put mine in here maybe you forgot um, give us a second here maybe I did this this could be my fault all right this is mine okay. oh let's back up all right well, let's go backwards we got all it all right okay <laughs> so I was very lucky to study with a UN analyst whose name is R. Progoff, and um, he is the one that I got this wonderful line from, this solitary work we cannot do alone. I love that kind of paradoxical uh, uh, thing. And I learned from R. Progoff an exercise that he called the stepping stone exercise. And I want to encourage you, maybe today or sometime this week, to do it on your own. Um, it will likely be different every time you do it. But get a sheet of paper and number down the left-hand column, one through 10. And by number one, write, I was born. And by number 10, write, I am here. And then write, I find it helpful usually to go backwards you know, if it hadn't been for this, I wouldn't be sitting here. If it hadn't been for that, I would have been there and gone all the way back and back and back and back. And you write down the events or the decisions or the people or the books or whatever have been the influential stepping stones that got you from the day you were born to right here. 
Now, I would put, uh, certainly for me, one of those stepping stones was over 30 years ago coming to St. Paul's because that's led to this. And if I hadn't been to St. Paul's, there would be no ordinary life, and I'm the one who benefits from this. And uh, I would not have come to St. Paul's if I had not come to Houston to be involved in clinical training. And it was in clinical training, by the way, that I met Wayne Day that led me to be aware of, of coming here. And I think that one of the most powerful events that I would put on my own stepping stone thing, if I were putting events, would be the decision to come to Houston and be involved in clinical training. If I had a magic wand that worked, <laughs> I would require every clergy person that works for every church to have at least three quarters of clinical pastoral education. Terry, huh? Maybe two. two. <laughs> Maybe four. Maybe ongoing. I know we have clergy here <laughs> that Barbara agrees, Terry agrees. We, we, and you know what? I wish we could get our politicians to do it. Mm. To have some self-awareness about what's going on. I was attracted to it in seminary because I saw my seminary colleagues come back from spending a summer here in Houston doing clinical pastoral education. And they were just different when they came back. They were different human beings. And I lusted after that. That's a seven. <laughs> that Epicurean quality. So I, I just wanted to put that out there because I became aware while working on this time today how often in my talks I used the phrase when I was in clinical training. <laughs> but it's true. I learned so much there about so much. And, and um, I remember one day arriving for a group supervision session, uh, interpersonal group, I was often late, I was early that day, and one of my colleagues came in and he flopped down in a chair and I said, how are you doing? And he said, until recently, I thought I was someone I knew. <laughs> I think good spiritual teaching and good spiritual teachers take your identity away from you. And then maybe in a collaborative process, give you back something else. so that you leave with a different understanding of yourself. We've all been born and educated in a culture that has constructed this worldview where, as I said, not only does God exist, but God exists out there beyond us and, and beyond us. And as I said, that's a damaging way to understand the sacred. And moving away from this is difficult. It takes work. Moving away from whatever understanding you have of yourself is difficult. And Jesus did not say, if you want to follow me, it won't cost you anything. And by the way, he wasn't talking about money because the people he spoke to didn't have any. He was talking about leaving tribal identity, leaving all the things that our culture says makes us who we are, what you have, your degree, um, your skin color, your sex, your sexual orientation, all of that. And now doing this work, what we will discover is what the mystics have always known, is that we, we don't have to go somewhere to be in God. We already exist in the sacred, and the sacred exists in us. It's a matter of becoming enlightened about that. Of course, we're going to have to give up the God that we have fashioned to fit our falsity. And so um, what we're working on and toward is an ongoing transformation of ourselves that can only occur when we, ourselves, and our God are deeply known. And there's not a deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of the self. Um, and as I said, you can look at this, what I'm saying right now, through Western eyes and, and um, 
see it as frustrating or you can look at it through another set of lens and see it as energizing and hopeful but folks we never finish with this work and I think I think that's good news um, we're all going to die as beginners right we're also all like melting candles that are burning down. You just never know when it's going to get blown out. <laughs> True. Sometimes my kids just blow it out for no reason. Do you think they're trying to say something? I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> Let me see if I can put it this way. My beautiful bride of 40 years is sitting on the front row over here, and I don't think she loves me. I know she loves me. Those are two entirely different kinds of knowledge. So be aware that having knowledge and information about God is no more transforming than having information about love. Though I, I, it may not occur for you today, I'm hopeful that as a result of these times together, at some point you will be able to say in a growing, evolving way, I know God, not I know about. Mm -hmm. Not arrogantly, not exhaustively, but with genuineness. Hmm. So I've just come back where I was this week was in California where I'm doing a program around being trained as a spiritual director. And it's an interfaith program, and it was a really intense week because as part of the training, we're dropping into some really deep conversations with one another. And I'm notice, I'm learning that 95% of it is just noticing, just being present and directing attention to something that's already bubbling up in someone and kind of pulling that forth to draw that creating aspect out. One of the exercises we did, and you can do this with a partner, a friend, someone you don't know. I did it with many people I didn't know <laughs> this week, was we got in dyads, and for two minutes, we asked each other, who are you? Not once, but over and over again. Who are you? At first, the answers were kind of surface, kind of playful, but it's amazing how you can really go deep in two minutes and what comes up. Where we landed at minute one minute and 58 seconds was very different than where we were at the beginning. Some ended up by saying, I don't know. So who are you? It's both a delicious and a disarming question. It's one we could sit with for a very long time in our own spiritual practice. Ask it of the self, ask it of God. Who are you? This is what Edward Edinger writes on the subject, and I know this is going to be hard to read, but it's a great quote. Suppose the universe consists of an omniscient mind containing total and absolute knowledge, but it is asleep. Slowly it stirs, stretches, and starts to awaken. It begins to ask questions. What am I? So even God asked this question of God's self. But no answer comes. Then it thinks, I shall consult my fantasy. I'll do active imagination. With that, galaxies and solar systems spring into being. Then the fantasy focuses on Earth. It becomes autonomous and life appears. Now the divine mind wants for self-knowledge. And the noblest representative of that, of humankind, have the burden of that divine urgency imposed upon them. Many are broken by the weight. A few survive and incorporate the fruits of their divine encounter in mighty works of religion and art and human knowledge. These then generate new ages and civilizations in the history of humankind, and slowly, as this process unfolds, God begins to learn who God is. This is the co-conspirating God. As we discover the self, we discover God. That's where we've been arriving all along. As creation unfolds, God discovers God's self. I don't know where you guys are in terms of what you're struggling with, self-image, God-image, or both. How many of you are 
comfortable with the kind of Old Testament or even New Testament God? Or how many of you need new words for God because the old ones aren't working? We've said God a lot <laughs> in this class, and maybe some of you are flinching every single time that word is thrown out. Maybe some of you are uncomfortable with the idea that there is such a thing as a God self, and no matter what, all of it's fine. Each layer offers a new understanding, and there's room for growth in every image of God that I shared before. So how do we do this? How do we actually transform the image of the self and God as necessary to one another? What does it sound or look like? Reading myths is one way. You've spent a lot of time in here talking about myths. They're beautiful, tangible things that really elicit sometimes chills, sometimes tears. And those responses, our body responses, is like something nudging us. <coughs> Pay attention. So myths can drop us into a deeper knowing. I love this one about the Hindu Lord Brahma who suggests that the gods buried divinity deep within the human soul because that's where we will never think to look. What are some practical tools then for discovering it? I definitely don't have the answers. I think that is where your daily spiritual practice comes in. You've got me, right? I've got, you've got my, I've got your number. <laughs> but how do we notice the self? One way is by noticing congruence and incongruence. This is um, Carl Rogers, who was a humanist uh, psychotherapy, and he really, his focus was on helping people notice where we are out of alignment, where our values are out of alignment with our behaviors. So congruence and incongruence. We know when something doesn't feel right. The question is, do we pay attention? Some clues might be tension in the belly, a stiff neck, shoulders that tighten. These are just clues for us to notice incongruence. The second could be spending time with this question. Who are you? Ask it of yourself. Ask it of the divine. Make two columns on a paper. We've got lots of writing exercises for mm -hmm. you. <laughs> and write the answers down. Notice what matches up and where they are wildly different. Just notice. The third is tending to the ways we demonstrate love and anger. Both are suffocating emotions. Both are liberating emotions. There's so many other emotions we can do this, this with, but these two seem good dichotomies. If we love with our own needs, always leading, always in the forefront, then we're in a grasping and clinging type of love. If we love with curiosity and trust, then we're loving it with a freeing kind of love. Similarly, when anger does harm, when it excludes, when it kills, when it controls or outcasts, it's destructive. If anger gets suppressed, it comes out sideways. We've all been recipients of people's sideways anger, I bet. That's shadow anger, it's not recognized. But anger also has this capacity to cleanse, to activate or to open up something in us. It can be creative. Think of the fire that burns the forest and the forest comes back stronger. You might call this anger that gets at the question beneath the question, the kind of what's really going on here question. So just notice how you do love and how you do anger. So the only thing that I would add to this, Holly, is that relationships take time. Um, you can't develop a relationship with uh, someone over text or email or in two minutes. It takes time mm -hmm. to develop a relationship with a human being. Time and, and longevity, you do it over a long period of time. We can say the same thing about relationship with um, the sacred. And you're right, I've used the word God in this talk deliberately a lot today because I'm trying to contribute to changing our understanding of God, and that is the word that most people use when thinking of that up there. The word that I use in my daily practice is grace, not God. I don't, I've conditioned myself not to use the word God because it's so ingrained in the mind to think out elsewhere, so grace. And I think I mentioned in here that the dark side that you mentioned that I try to integrate. I've given a name to my dark side, too, and that's malice. Oh, I thought you were going to say 
thought maybe it was They Fred. both have a voice. Mm -hmm. Malice sounds like Alice, mm -hmm. but with, you know, mm -hmm. feminine, masculine together. Mm -hmm. And she, he raises their head from time to time to say what I need to do or what would be awful for me. Um, and you, truly, I know this does not include anybody sitting here, but there are people who think that they can have a relationship with the sacred in three minutes a day. I know, you don't think that. You usually put in 20, 30 minutes in your daily well, spiritual practice. I'm just practice. gonna say we have a relationship with the sacred 24 hours a day. It's whether we're attending to it. Or well, it's whether you're aware of it, intentional and specific, and it's called a practice for the same reason that people sit down and practice the piano. It's so that they can play it else, else in, in, in other times. Um, you know, people will complain to me when I ask them about why's your spiritual practice, and they say, "Well, it's not going very well. I tried it, but I didn't get anything out of it." You're not supposed to get anything out of it. You're supposed to enjoy it. You're supposed to, you, you be with your beloved, not leaving the encounter saying, well, I didn't get anything out of that. That doesn't make your beloved feel good. And besides, your beloved probably has a take on it also. You know, if love and life and time um, had to spend time with you, would they be looking forward to it? It's a... <laughs> Transformational knowledge of God or the sacred comes from a meeting in the depth. There's no, as Holly said, there is no simple, concise formula for this. And please avoid anyone who claims there is. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So we'll close with coming back to this original question of who are you? I hope it points you towards greater freedom where you and God are concerned. I heard a poem the other day, and instead of listening to the poem, which I can't remember the title or author of, I wrote a response to the poem. And we'll just call it Dear Poem for now. Don't trap God, even by the word God. It's just another word for mystery, and mystery is just another word for the all of it, for the deepest self, for the humpback whale in the ocean it swims in, for the tiny plankton sucked between its baleen teeth, or for the African elephant and the dirt beneath its feet, for the sightless bacteria caught between its toes or in the leathery folds of its skin. This game could go on and on, but God is just another word. That's beautiful, thank you. No matter where you go this week, no matter what happens, remember this, you carry precious cargo, so watch your steps, stay dry, and I'll see you here next week. <laughs> Thank you.